America's democracy hangs in the balance. While you're tuned into politics, Greer McVay, host of the Capital G podcast, will help you make sense of the news of the day and more importantly, understand how what goes on in our nation's capital is important to you and your family. Greer shares insights and opinions in the lead up to the election, and then will help guide you through the anticipated aftermath and into the next administration. That's politics with a capital G. Good morning and welcome to the Capital G Podcast. I am your host, Greer McVeigh, and I am so happy to have you here for this latest installment of this podcast. This is the post-Thanksgiving show, so hopefully you have awakened from your uh, uh, Thanksgiving turkey coma, your tryptophan coma, which, as it turns out, really isn't a tryptophan in the turkey thing that makes you sleep. It is probably, <laughs> if you've been sleeping the past four days, it probably has more to do with all the carbohydrate that you ate. And if you're anything like me, your favorite things are the stuffing, the yams and potatoes and rolls and mac and cheese, <laughs> all all the, um, you know, carbohydrate killers. So pretty much that's what I had. I think I had a slice of turkey and then 72 pounds of carbohydrates. So I'm just waking up from my Thanksgiving coma. It was a great weekend. I spent it with my, uh, mostly with my son who just flew in from New York. And in our effort to not, uh, uh, get everybody around us sick just in case he picked up something on the plane. We tried to do our best to uh, shelter in place, just the two of us. So here we are. What they did give me, though, was time to get caught up on some of the stuff that's going on in our nation's capital. So we're going to start with only one big number today, and that big number is 51. And 51 is the number of days until Inauguration Day, until we get a new president. In the uh, coming days, I'm going to talk about Joe Biden's cabinet. He is starting to make cabinet picks that are, uh, for the most part, celebrated by the Democratic Party, not particularly opposed by Republican pundits and Republican uh, elected officials. There are a couple of, I would say a handful, but I can't even think of a handful. I can think of two or three um, of the people that he, that of the names that have been floated out there that are not being well received. The primary among those is Rahm Emanuel who was Obama's first uh, chief of staff or the Obama's chief of staff in his first term because unlike another president whose name I'm going to mention in a minute, <laughs> he didn't cycle through tons and tons of chiefs of staff and 
DNIs and, and, and national security advisors, DNIs director of national national intelligence, CIA directors, and and all that. So for somebody who picks all the best people, um, he has just gone through dozens and dozens of people. Um, because he does not pick the best people. And to the extent he may pick good people, he's not. So nobody wants to stick around. So I'll I'll leave that, I'll I'll set that aside for now. But um Rahm Emanuel was Obama's first chief of staff, and then he went on when he uh left the Obama White House to become the mayor of Chicago. And in his um two terms as mayor of Chicago, he did not make a whole lot of friends, particularly in terms of his, um, the way that he handled some high profile um, police activity. I'll just call it police activity and then I'm gonna leave it at that because I don't want to go down a, a Black Lives Matter, Rahm Emanuel rabbit hole. We'll save that for another day. But Rahm Emanuel is somebody that Democrats are like, no, we don't know. There's somebody better. So I'm sure for political reasons, Biden is considering him. I don't know if he'll go against what the Democrats are sort of demanding, but we'll see. Um, another name out there is Neera Tandon. Neera uh, is someone that a lot of people like. Um, I'm not quite sure what their what the problem is with her. Uh, I think the problem with her, though, is coming more from Republicans. And at this point, it's like, really, y'all? You think you get a say in anything after what you guys have allowed to happen to this country? Um, but Biden is considering her for the Office of Budget and Management, OBM. And that is it, well, it's a non, I always thought was a nonpartisan, not bipartisan, but a nonpartisan um, uh, OMB. It was like a nonpartisan agency that evaluated the, the cost of things and all of that. So I'm not quite sure how she would fit in. She's highly partisan. Um, that doesn't mean she couldn't do the job, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. But for the most part, he has been offering up names um, and has already uh, publicly announced like, his economic team. Uh, over the weekend, he announced his communication team, which is uh, looks like all women. So I don't know, maybe I should have gotten in there, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but looks like all women, which, you know, I don't know. I have some feelings about, but I'm not quite sure what those feelings are. Uh, I I like the idea of, you know, women getting promoted and women being recognized. And But I do want you to pick the most uh, accomplished people. Not Don't hire women for the sake of hiring women. And I don't know whether he did or didn't, but it just seems interesting that it's like, so everybody's so only women are the most qualified? That seems, you know, yeah, we'll see. But, you know, it's nice to see a bunch of women, a bunch of uh, diversity. And now that's just the communication team. He has named um, 
uh, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, uh, Native American, uh, all kinds, you know, men, women. Um, I, I don't know if I've seen him yet name anybody who's trans to any position. I don't know if I've seen anyone who's disabled. So, you know, he's got a ways to go, though. There are thousands and thousands of positions uh, to be named. So we'll we'll see where we go from here, but it looks like he's off to a good start. So that's Joe Biden. And part of what Capital G is about is not just, uh, this is not like the anti-Trump show. I just want to <laughs> make sure we know that. This is a show about politics, what's happening in the nation's capital. Obviously, one of the big things that's happening is that we have a current president. We just had an election. Now we have a transition. And then we're going into a new um, administration. So I'm and I'm going to talk about it each step of the way. One of the challenges we have, though, is that we can't move to the new. <laughs> it's hard to have the transition conversation and talk about, you know, what Joe Biden is doing or going to do. And he's already announced several things like he's going to uh, get us back into the Paris Climate Accord and he wants to renegotiate with Iran, uh, renegotiate with Iran uh, the Iran nuclear deal. But then last week there was a, a high, uh, a pro high profile murder or assassination is what they're calling it of Iran's top uh, nuclear uh, expert. So, which, you know, they seem to be saying that Israel was behind it and did the Trump administration know or sanction it and, and then if the United States had anything to do with it, what is the purpose? And there's speculation that the purpose is to hobble Joe Biden going in to keep him from being able to renegotiate the nuclear, uh, the Iranian nuclear deal that Trump, you know, got us out of. So there's a lot going on. But again, it's hard to sort of move forward when we still have this big elephant in the room. And I mean that literally and figuratively. So let's talk about the elephant that's in the room. The elephant that is in the room is a president who will not concede, who will not concede his loss to the new president. And there are a lot of reasons that Trump probably won't concede. And by concede, I don't necessarily mean go out there and give a speech where he's like, oh, you know, we ran a good race and Joe Biden won and, I, you know, I wish him well and I'll do my administration will do anything we can to help, you know, the transition and to help him be a successful president moving forward. I think we can all agree after the last four years that that is not forthcoming. And while it would be nice and while it's what every other president has done, um, you know, whatever. But what we could get is, you know what, I, I didn't win. I'm not happy about it. You know, Joe, you figure it out. And you've been here before. You've got friends who've been here before. So let's just keep it moving. And I'll get out of your way. Well, we're not getting that either. Which that would be like the bare minimum that could be done. We're not getting that either. Instead, what we're getting 
is a current president, Trump, who is adamant not only that he did not lose, but that he won. And it's it's gotten to a point where one, it's dangerous, but two, it's it's delusional, right? And each with each passing day, you're like, okay, is he lying? Is you know, is this part of a scheme, scan, plan, you know, whatever you want to call it? Is it is it part of a strategy? Or is he does he really think that he won? And it's really hard, it really, really is hard to tell right now um, what it is. So the election obviously was November 3rd. As we've talked about before, there was a red a red mirage, meaning that uh, on election day, so many Republicans showed up, voted in person. However, many, many, many more Democrats had, uh, well, plenty of Democrats voted on election day, but the percentage of those who voted by mail or early of Democrats far outweighed the number of Republicans. We knew that going in. We knew that weeks before, months before the election day. And so what appeared on election day to be like, wow, Trump's got all these votes. And then as you started to count the mail-in ballots, the early ballots and so forth, provisionals and so, and so on, as that started to happen, there was a shift what they call a blue shift. So a red mirage, it looked like one thing, and then a blue shift, it shifted another way. And there were enough of those ballots, absentee and uh, provisional and, and otherwise, that ultimately Joe Biden won. Okay. We knew that was going to happen before election day. It actually happened just like the experts predicted, based on the number of mail-in ballots that were sent out and the exit polls and, and polling and all those things. So it seems that everybody understood that that's what was going to happen with the exception of Trump, because as he's talking today, today is November 30th. So the election was almost a month ago, but as he's talking today, he's like, you know, we won. You, you could see on election night, there was all these, you know, we won. And then there were these dumps, what he called massive dumps. Okay, don't ever tweet the word, the term massive dumps on Twitter. That just, that cannot go well. Just note to, note to you. <laughs> I don't need a note to self. Note to you, never tweet the term massive dumps. Anyway, but he's like, all these votes... All these ballots got dumped, and then they and they counted them. Where did those Where did those ballots come from? So that is a big part of of Trump's argument, and he's got many, and he's got many for different states. And again, we've talked about this. So I don't want to belabor it, but he's got for multiple states. We literally are. He is still filing lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Michigan. Um, and in Georgia in particular. And the places, you know, we are expecting, I believe Arizona is going to certify their uh, election results today. 
Um, I believe that, uh, well, Pennsylvania already has, Georgia already has. So this, these states have already certified their votes. They're like, these were real. They were, they were cast legally. They, we've counted them in many instances. They were recounted and recounted again. Georgia had two recounts because Trump insisted. So as all these votes being, he's like, well, no, you know, so two or three of the big arguments are, um, one, you know, just recount the votes. You counted them wrong. But that's less of what they're arguing, the Trump camp, the Trump team. More of what they're arguing is that votes were counted that should not have been counted. So it isn't that you counted them, you miscounted them. It's that you shouldn't have counted them at all, which means that they want to disenfranchise like a million voters. And you shouldn't have counted them because they were received uh, after election day. Well, if they were postmarked by election day, they could be counted. That was the deal. Um, because they were, uh, you, you, um, what's one of their other, the big arguments is like, you know, they shouldn't have been counted. The signatures don't match. You got rid of the, the envelope, the envelope and the signature on the ballot and the signature on the envelope need to match. Or you shouldn't have allowed um, mail-in ballots from people that didn't request them in the first place. So some states proactively just mailed out ballots or you didn't have to have a reason. You could just request it, but you didn't have to say, oh, I was out of town. I'm going to be out of town, so I need a mail-in ballot. You're just like, I want a mail-in ballot. Well, they're like arguing that that's against the Constitution and all this stuff. There have been, I believe, 30, 38 lawsuits. Trump has won one. So their record is 37, one in, th one in 37, since you put your wins first. One, one in 37. So the one that they won was where they were able to move and get closer to watch the count, people counting the votes. But they're losing all these votes and they're losing them with prejudice, meaning the judges are like, don't come back here. At some point, the judges need to sanction them for filing these bogus lawsuits. But they're filing these lawsuits, you know, and, and they keep, his team keeps like staging these press conferences. And the other day they had what they called a hearing and you can't see, but I've got air quotes. So a hearing where, and it's like, no, it's not a hearing. If it's at the coffee breakout session at the Ramada, that's not a hearing, you know, or at the, where were they? The Wyndham hotel, a hearing would take place in a court or in a, an official place of, you know, governmental business. That would be a hearing. This is a, a press stunt where you've got a bunch of people in a room and they keep saying, well, we've got all this evidence of voter fraud, of you know, democratic voter fraud. Now Trump is blaming uh, Governor Kemp in, in Georgia of voter fraud. And it, so there, there's all this fraud. Then they get in front of the court and they're like, no, no, Your Honor, we're not, we're not claiming fraud. But in public or on TV, there's like fraud, fraud, fraud. So over the weekend, Trump has, um, and this is Thanksgiving weekend, so where normal presidents would be 
like, you know, during this Thanksgiving weekend, we want to be grateful and thankful and love one another. And let's go out and serve food to the hungry and let's do this and let's help our fellow man and, you know, whatever. Trump literally played golf and tweeted. And he's playing golf and tweeting about, you know, the scam and the, you know, Governor Kemp, all you have to do is just not is declare, use your emergency powers and declare a state of emergency. And, and then now even Republicans are like, dude, let it go. You lost. There's no way. I'm sure if it was close, they might have cheated, but it isn't close. So they can't, they can't cheat. If it was just one state or if it was just a couple hundred ballots in, um, in Michigan, the, the Trump the Trump team wanted a uh, recount, and it was like, well, the recount would cost I, I think it was eight million dollars, seven or eight million dollars. Well, Cheapy decided, you know, well, okay, we're not going to do a whole recount. We'll just recount in two counties, you know, which happened to be like, you know, the black counties, right? But yeah, you know, where high Detroit and Wayne County, which is where Detroit is, some other county, which are highly, highly concentrated with black voters, which, you know, some people think has a lot to do with his strategy, which is basically to disenfranchise the black vote. It's like Atlanta, Philadelphia, Detroit. And it's like, dude, you know, we can see this. But anyway, um, but it was $3 million to just do the two counties. So it was like, fine, just do those, just do those two counties. He paid the $3 million. And at the end, he ended up getting, Joe Biden ended up getting like an additional, whatever, 87 votes, 122 votes or whatever. So Trump paid $3 million that netted Joe Biden more votes. I think Trump might've gotten like 47 something in one county and Biden got 100 and 60 and another, but it was like a net 120 gain or something like that for Joe Biden. And it's like, okay, so you paid $3 million to get Joe Biden more votes. Okay, good strategy. We see how you are with money. Anyway, so this whole thing, and literally over the weekend, we have watched an unraveling that we hadn't quite seen before, which is, you know, Trump like lashing out and threatening people. And, and um, so there's an article in the Washington Post. If you get an opportunity to read it, and I will post it on the Capital G uh, podcast website page, capitalgpodcast.com. It's called The 20 Days of Fantasy and Failure Inside Trump's Quest to Overturn the Election. And they go into a, a detailed accounting of the things that Trump did, it's a relatively easy read. Well, maybe it isn't. It's it's about ten page. <laughs> it's about ten pages um, printed. But they go into sort of some of the thinking behind it and the Trump's experts and his team and the advice they're giving him. And it seems that a big part of what's happening is that. Serious, more serious people. I don't think any of them are serious on Trump's team because I, I just don't think he can be. Um, but how you know what started off as a particular strategy, which was, you know, <clears throat> we're going to make a play for these certain votes. We've tried to suppress these other votes. 
we're going to be set up to do these challenges in some particular places and then you know we'll go from there it just sort of went awry because each step of the way trump has undermined the strategy so for instance when they say you know, well, people are going to vote, you know, disproportionately Democrats are going to use the mail-in ballot. Trump should have told his people, okay, use the mail-in ballot. If you can't come on election day, then use the ballot, use mail-in. But instead he told his people, do not, do not use a mail-in ballot because that was the strategy was going to be to undermine the value, right? To, to have all those ballots tossed out. Well, he relied on the ballots being tossed out and the ballots were not tossed out because they were not illegal. That is really the crux of what his problem is. And his people didn't use the mail-in ballot. Very few did. So what ended up happening at the end of the day is the people, some of Trump's voters who didn't use mail-in ballot also were unable for one reason or another or just didn't show up on election day. So he ended up without as big a lead on election day, the red mirage, and then he had very few of the mail-in ballots. So he, his numbers just never added up. And then as they're telling him with some of these challenges, you know, don't do it this way, or, you know, there just is no evidence, but, you know. So anyway, so here we are three weeks later, almost a month later, Trump is literally tweeting and, you know, insiders are saying he's like the mad King George. I won, I won, I won. And everybody is like, no, you did not win. To the point, and I thought the most interesting thing in this article, but again, you should read the Washington Post. It was November 28th, 20 days of fantasy and failure. Um, one of the most interesting things is that the quote unquote grownups in the room in the Trump administration um, are saying, for the good of the country, you know, you need to let the 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 um, the the transition occur. You need to stop standing in the way because that's not going to make you look good for the future. So, you know, it's a Trump, but they somehow convinced him that allowing, and I use that word loosely, allowing the transition to occur would not be perceived as a concession. Well, I'm here to say it was perceived as a concession because the moment that he was like, yeah, you know, and I'm giving Emily Murphy, you know, the GSA permission, which really wasn't his call. But I, it sounds like it looks like Emily Murphy was um, beholden to Trump and wasn't moving forward at his, you know, at his bequest. So. She finally was like, okay, we're going to let the transition go. We're going to release the funds. We're going to allow the people to meet the Biden team, the Biden transition team, the Trump team will allow each, everybody to meet and do all that. Once that happened, it was like the whole media landscape, the whole everybody, everybody got the memo and Trump had been convinced that, oh, it won't mean anything. Well, it meant a lot. So here we are. Um he still is, you know, some states like in Arizona that is supposed to um, certify today. It's my understanding that he is likely, once it's certified, some states you cannot challenge it until it's certified, which obviously makes it that much harder. But, you know, he 
will have lawsuits. So the next date that we're looking at is December 8th. I mean, there are going to be some certifications, state certifications between now and then, but on December 8th, all of the legal battles are supposed to be um, resolved. And once the legal battles are resolved, then the, the, the um, electoral college can meet. If there are still pending legal battles, then what the electoral college does is still a little up in the air. And at this point, it looks like Trump is sort of banking on two things. He's banking on either having some electors uh, be faithless and go against what their state vote was, which we've talked about is should not go very far. And so far, Republican governors have held the line. They've done the right thing. Courts have held the line. They've done the right thing. But ultimately, Trump wants to get this up to the Supreme Court. And, you know, and he's even said, you know, I've got the Supreme Court. And, you know, it's hard to get in front of the Supreme Court. And I've got, I should have standing. I'm the president and all this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if, one, I, I just don't believe that the Supreme Court will even take it up. I think they'll be like, you know what, our job here is done. He doesn't have the power anymore. Yeah, thank you, you know, Neil Gorsuch, uh, 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 Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, Squee, <laughs> you know, all the rest of them. I think they might be like, you know what, you know, thank you for giving me this lifetime appointment, but you can go now. I think that's what he's going to end up getting. So as far as, um, so, you know, so we've got that to see. So that's um, no, uh, December 8th. And then December uh, 14th is the day that the Electoral College comes together and votes. Those are the next two big dates that we're looking at. Is uh, As far as what happens if Trump doesn't prevail and it doesn't look like he will, there is talk that Rupert Murdoch of Fox is offering Trump $100 million to come join the Fox team because he doesn't want Trump to go be on some other team. Newsmax, I think, is where he may go, which if you've never heard of Newsmax, consider yourself lucky. It's a right-wing whack job outlet. But between 08-01 News Network, um, between them, Newsmax, uh, or, or Trump TV or some new thing, um, you know, we expect to see Trump in the media and in the press and being a thorn in the side of Joe Biden moving forward. Whether or not, you know, $100 million is sufficient to lure him away from the, these um these other outlets that are in competition with Fox News is, is another story. I will say, because Trump has been very, very, very critical of Fox News publicly lashing out at them because they, you know, you know, once they called Arizona and they were the first network to call Arizona for Trump, uh, once they did that, Trump just lost it and you know, and wanted them to take it back. And it turns out that obviously Trump lost Arizona. So, but once they called it for Joe Biden, Trump has been like all out war with Fox News and then telling people, stop watching Fox, go watch OAN or go watch Newsmax or go watch something else. 
So it'll be interesting to see if he stops sort of bashing Fox. If he does, that tells us that might be the direction he wants to go. Which is interesting in and of itself, because that suggests that he won't be in jail. <laughs> There's some confidence that he won't be uh, in jail. And there are so many lawsuits out there pending. He's individual number one in the Michael Cohen case, the thing that got Trump, uh, Michael Cohen sent to prison. He's, uh, you know, we don't know if there are uh, hidden indictments and other kinds of things. So this whole Trump saga is not ending anytime soon. I will keep you posted. But for now, I just say, read the, read the uh, Washington Post. Um, and I will try to get that posted uh, this morning on the website. And what else we got going on? That really is it. We Again, we had a great Thanksgiving. We're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks to see how all this travel impacted the COVID numbers. COVID-19 obviously is, is a, through the roof. It's growing. People are losing their... Um, how do I want to say this? <laughs> their lives. But... Um, you know, hospitals at max capacity, the new new shutdowns, new shutdown orders, new shelter in place orders, new curfews from coast to coast, schools opening, schools closing. There's it's just a little all over the place. We have a president who's doing absolutely nothing about it, a president elect who's trying to do, but he doesn't have really any power, but he's at least talking about what's gonna happen or what he would do or what he will do differently. Uh, he broke his foot the other day. So it's like, oh God, you know, that's all we need is him hobbling around. So, you know, it's like, get well soon, uh, President-elect Biden. People try to stay safe, try to stay home. Again, we're going to probably see a spike in numbers mid-November. I'm sorry, mid-December as the, the, the holiday numbers start to come in which who knows what that will mean by Christmas time. But we do have, are expecting the shipments, the first shipments of vaccine to start going out within the next couple of weeks. So and that would be sort of frontline workers and all of that. So there may be some, there is some light at the end of the tunnel on the coronavirus front. It will get worse before it gets better, but it looks like between the vaccine and then new policies implemented by a new president in, what did I say, 51 days. Um, you know, it looks like we, we may have some, some things to celebrate for the end of the year. So with that, I'm going to sign off, but I hope you have a wonderful day. I've enjoyed uh, having you with me on the Capital G podcast. Again, I'm your host, Greer McVeigh, and that is Politics with a Capital G. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Capital G. As always, you can find show and host information at capitalgpodcast.com and even more information and commentary on the Capital G blog, which you can also access through capitalgpodcast.com. If you liked what you heard, 
please share the show with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.